Grace and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel History, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. That crescendos to verse 6 and decrescendos. So to remind you of that account, I will read verse 6. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the seed, and it will obey you. This is the Gospel of our Lord. One of my favorite childhood stories was the little train that could. There's another one about a little caboose that could. In America, we love those underdogs that could, that try with all their might and make it. Unfortunately, that's what we think of faith is. And we think that's what Jesus is saying today. Just believe hard enough and you can fly. But that's putting the power in you. It's completely ignoring God. It is missing the point of today's text. And it is missing what faith is. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God the Father planned through all eternity your life and your eternal salvation. Jesus, true God, became true man, took on human flesh so that he could purchase and win you. And then what finally makes you God's property, what fulfills the commandments, if you will, is the Holy Spirit has entered your heart using the means of grace, the Word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper to seal himself in there. Now see, there's the problem. Too often we forget that there's this thing called original sin. What is original sin? It means since Adam and Eve fell into sin, in our own natural condition, all we can do is hate God and sin. Period. End of discussion. We don't have the power to bring ourselves to faith or to believe or be the little train that could. God must send His Holy Spirit to give us faith. And He does. We hear the message that Jesus has saved us and the Holy Spirit seals himself in our hearts and he makes a new man. So that until we die or until Christ returns, whichever comes first for us, we are like the book Stevens wrote, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We have a sinful nature and he's not going to survive the grave and we have a new man that is eternally alive and they fight. But the new man is alive and that new man is faith. Okay, so that is faith, the Holy Spirit living in your heart. So you have this new person that is connected to Christ. Now, sometimes the scripture talks about faith in a different way. It talks about what we do with that new man, the struggle of the new man and the old man, using the word of God and applying it in our life. So we also call that sanctification or law as a guide. The Holy Spirit draws us to the word to empower us to do that. So as we look at today's text, I want you to understand our theme is God has built into your faith the very things he expects from your faith. The Holy Spirit at work in you makes these things happen. Although we always want to keep before our eyes, we have a sinful nature that struggles against it. So let's talk about that sinful nature for a moment. As Jesus says to his disciples in verse 1, snares of sin will inevitably come, except woes upon the one through whom they come. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who have the new man, the Holy Spirit living in their heart that connects them intimately to the Father, the Son, and obviously the Holy Spirit. And yet he says, snares of sin will inevitably come. If you've ever trapped an animal or seen those traps, you know how it works. You step in the trigger, wham, and it holds you. And there it is. Jesus is telling you snares of sin are going to come to you. Things that are going to trip you up and hold you. Sometimes 
It takes God sending another brother or sister in Christ to open up that trap for you and let you out. They're inevitable. They're going to come. Why? We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature that hates the word of God, despises it, and wants to act against it, and wants us to think that the word of God is terrible and hard and a burden, and doesn't want to understand that the word of God is our life. It is our freedom in Christ. And so these snares come, and you and I at times are going to be the person who causes those snares. What? How often well-meaning Christians, including myself, meaning well in a congregation, can turn around and create a problem over the silliest of things such as the color of carpet. We can be that snare of sin without even meaning to. They're bound to come. But he says that one thing, because sometimes that snare will hold a person and they lose their faith. That is not good. And so he says in verse 2, it would be better for him if a millstone is placed around his neck and he's thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now the word for little ones seems to be little children and that certainly fits our context. But he's talking to the disciples and we're not told that there's little children around. It's pretty safe to assume that Jesus is using an intimate term here for those who believe in him. We sing in the hymn, I am Jesus' little lamb, and that seems to be what he's talking about. Anyone who causes somebody else to fall from their faith, it would be better for them. And it's a large millstone. They used a donkey or a mule to pull this thing. So this weighed as much as an old truck, right? So what happens if you tie this large stone around somebody and throw them in the middle of the sea? Bye-bye. You're not going to see them again. Number one, water's going to fill up in their lungs and they're not going to be able to talk or cry out for help. That means that their message that would have caused the person to fall, gone. They're not going to escape this. So if they're at the depths of the sea, their body's not going to float up and stand as a memorial to their false teaching. The point Jesus is saying is, if you're going to cause somebody to fall from your sin, he's going to hold you accountable. That's scary because brothers and sisters in Christ... Look at how many charlatans fill pulpits in the world. Or look at how many times, as I already mentioned, brothers or sisters in Christ will insist on something the Bible does not demand or create new laws that the Bible does not have, will deny the forgiveness of sins or harbor an unchristian grudge against somebody else and become the snare for that person. It would be better for them if they weren't born. Period. Because the only reason why we exist, this is the meaning of life. God created you to redeem you. Once you're redeemed, once you're saved, that Holy Spirit's in your heart. Then he brings you to the word to use you to bring others to the word, to show out his glory so that others can be saved. So he warns us, keep on guarding yourselves. Now, how does he do this? I've already said God has built into our faith the very things he expects from that faith. So how does he keep on? How do we keep guarding ourselves? The Holy Spirit in our heart draws us back to the very word that had told us we were saved, that now we believe applies to us. He draws us back to that word, and that word empowers us. The more we know it, the more we can apply it in our lives. When I'm having a struggle to forgive my brother or sister in Christ, or even an unbeliever, the word that tells me of how, that shows me my sin and shows me how much God has forgiven me empowers me to say, very simply, If God can forgive me for the rotten things I do, I certainly will not wish hell on this person for the rotten thing they've done to me. 
The Holy Spirit in our heart builds this in us. When we're in the word which he draws us to, then we keep on guarding ourselves. So he says, when your brother sins against you, then reprimand him. And whenever he repents, then forgive him. And if your brother sins against you seven times, and he returns to you seven times by saying, I repent, then you will forgive him. That's the hard part, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a sinful nature. You've done the same sin seven times to me. How can you say you're sorry? If you were sorry, you would stop doing it. No, this eighth time I'm not going to forgive you. Don't we want to nurse that grudge? Don't we want to harbor it? We deserve it. This person's not sorry. They keep doing it. But then the Holy Spirit has put that new man in our heart. And God's word exposes to us that you and I have pet sins. You and I both probably struggle with some pet sins are the same. And there are some pet sins I struggle with that you may not. And you probably struggle with some pet sins that I may not. Why would the person keep doing this? I, I, sometimes I like it when you ask somebody, why did you do that? You know it was wrong. I don't know. Well, the answer is because I have a sinful nature. And this is an area where he can get sucker punches in on my new man. It's that simple. So when the person says, I've sinned, well, if you are really sorry, you would quit doing this. We say, oh, my brother, my sister, this is your weakness. God knew I was weak and he took on my human flesh and he saved me. I can't save you. You are saved. But I can be strong for you. I will forgive you and I will try to help you look out for this pet sin of yours. Yes, God's built that into our faith. The Holy Spirit empowers us by bringing us that message, connecting us to Christ, pouring the blood of Christ on us, and then empowering us with the wonderful thing. Because once you are a believer, one of the greatest things God expects you to do, and it is a joy and privilege, according to our new man, to be able to turn to somebody else and just pour the blood of Christ on them. Your sin's forgiven. Let's move on. Wow. Okay, now the disciples, they get this is hard because let's admit it, there are people, they hurt us. They hurt us when they sin against us. There are sins we can do against somebody that will impact them the rest of their life, even if they forgive us. So the disciples, upon hearing this, they say those words, please increase our faith. What Jesus has just told them is impossible for us to do, brothers and sisters in Christ. Impossible left on our own. Impossible if we think do your best and God will do the rest. Impossible because that sinful nature is going to win and the apostles got it. It only happens because God has put his Holy Spirit in our heart through whom we receive the lifeblood of Christ daily, through whom we are drawn to the word, through whom we are given the power to forgive. So Jesus explains to them what faith is. And if we don't understand, faith isn't being the little train that could. Faith is God's Holy Spirit living in you. And there are times you're going to lose the struggle with your sinful nature. But there every day you're going to beat him down too because you are intimately connected to Christ. And it's then that he says, if you keep on having faith like a mustard seed, then you could say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would have obeyed you. This cannot be understood if you think that faith is being the little train that could. If I just believe hard enough and find the power deep down, I can do this. 
I thought that when I was a kid. I had the chore of, of pulling weeds in my parents' backyard. and well, Our backyard was full of weeds. It was a new addition in Rollins. So I went out there one day and I looked at them weeds. I looked at the biggest, tallest ones. Be uprooted! And the Lord taught me a lesson that day that he had given me parents who wanted to teach me a work ethic and it was I was to pull that weed. And that's how it was uprooted. But when you recognize faith is God's Holy Spirit working through you to do the things God wants you to do built into you. As Luther said about faith, you don't have to tell the sun to shine. God has designed it to do just that. Then you understand when God wants it done by you, He will work through you. It is His power. Too often Christians get confused and they can think another thing. They can think that faith is like a magic formula where if I just reach out and tap into God just right, you know, like plugging in the vacuum, if I, then I can manipulate His power and, you know, be uprooted to that weed. It's not just that it has to be God's will. It is God's work 100% of the time working through us to do the very things He expects of us. And that's where verse 7 follows along and explains verse 6. Now, who among you, if he has a slave who has just come in from plowing or pasturing sheep in the fields, would say, come here and recline at the table? But will he not say to his servant, prepare something for me to eat and prepare yourselves to serve him until I eat and drink? And after these are done, then you will eat and drink for yourself. I get this as an employee. Used to clock in, you'll time clock, punch card. And if I had a boss who every day ran up to me and said, Oh, how wonderful! You clocked in on time! I would probably go, uh, aren't I supposed to clock in at this time? Maybe I would think he didn't expect me to clock in on time and I was doing something extra. And if I thought that, then maybe the other employees would thought that. God has given you faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's his work and he expects these things out of you, but he empowers you to do them. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do this. So we're told he doesn't thank the servant for doing what he was told to do. In the same way, when you have also done everything commanded to you, say, we continue being unworthy servants. We have done what we were supposed to be doing. That's it. You're supposed to forgive brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't do it according to our sinful nature. We won't. It's impossible. So God has built that into us, putting the Holy Spirit in our heart that connects us to the blood of Christ who draws us to the Word. And so when we're having a hard time struggling, when we're trying to forgive, the Word, the law, and the Gospel are at work when we come to the Word. Oh yes, and let us not forget, He gives us soul food. He understands we don't just need to hear the Word and see the Word. In the Lord's Supper, we actually get to digest the Word. The Holy Spirit wants us to nourish our faith, and so He gives us another way to do that besides just with hearing and seeing the Word of God. God has built this into your faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if it's His will for something to happen at Lord of Lords Lutheran Church, He's going to use you and I, and He's going to make it happen. He's built it into your faith. And he's built into your faith that you continually come to that word. So, ultimately, I began our service today explaining how uh, if you think you have a weak faith, you've come to the right one. See, it's not really about a weak or a strong faith at all. Because faith is the Holy Spirit living in your heart. You're saved. So what we call a weak or strong faith, then, is how well we are in the word, understanding the word, so that we're empowered to beat down that sinful nature. Oftentimes, people who are new to the faith... Or have a weak faith, their sinful nature is winning. They don't see the need to come to the Word. And so God sends you and I and the Holy Spirit to share the Word and the Holy Spirit triggers that something in them and they come back. 
Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, we praise our Lord. He saved us. He did all the work. He planned it out. And he's even created the faith he expects out of us. And today we have seen God built into our faith the very things that he expects from that faith. Amen. And now the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.